Hello, my friends. Today we are talking to Bill Murphy, the CTO at Blackstone, and we discuss instigating positive change, pushing past your own hypothetical limits, and how having a journalistic mindset can help you ask better questions. All of this right here, right now, on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. Hello. Hello, sir. How are you? Hey, it's you. How you doing? I'm good. <laughs> you having a good day? You know, not too bad. I wish I was outside. It's beautiful. Here it's raining. Where are you? We're down in Florida. Okay. Well, yeah. Florida, now is not the time of the year to be outside, so. No, now is the time of year to go to New York. <laughs> right. right, exactly, exactly. So are you, are you in Manhattan or? Yep. Oh. You can probably see out the back window a little bit here. Um, you know, the, all the tall buildings. So yeah, 54th street. Nice. You know, more and more as I get involved with business, I end up going to all these big cities and I, don't know, I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So were you born in a big city or? I, I, I grew up outside, outside New York. So I'm a New York uh, area native and have been here most of my uh, life. I went to Philadelphia for college at Penn and lived in Boston for uh, a few years after college, but um, almost always within probably 10, 10 miles of, uh, of New York city. So there you nice. Go. You, did you live up? Like I've got family in Westchester area. Yeah. Long Island, right outside Queens. Okay. So that, that's where you grew up. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. The visiting I did was all in Westchester cause that's where I've got family up there. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's not all that different. People are, uh, similarly dri- uh, driven and fast moving and, and so on. Um, the New York, uh, I think New York is a lot more friendly than people give it credit for the, uh, uh, you know, the movies and such por- portray it a little bit, um, a little differently um, than it really is. People want to move fast, but they tend to be very friendly regardless of whether it's uh, Westchester, Long Island, Manhattan, and so on. So, Yeah, I found that traveling, there's pretty much the same types of people everywhere you go. There's like nice people, there's mean people, there's rich people, there's poor people. There's just like, it's really localized to whatever environment, like whatever smaller subset you're in, like whatever neighborhood you're in. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. So, all right. So I'm just building this, I'm building this like mental picture of you and it's, I'm, I'm very excited because I get to talk to leaders all the time, but you're like a special breed of leader because you're a CTO at a company that invests in other companies. And so that means you get this amazing variety, this wide array of different companies and different technologies. And so I, I think the question I'm most excited to ask is like, what are you most excited about right now? Wow. Um, that's interesting. Uh, well, I mean, our next step, I think for us and well, as well as across our portfolio. So, you know, my job is, you know, Blackstone manages $500 billion plus and, and we own um, tens, if not, uh, I guess, upwards of almost 200 companies, if you count, you know, broadly, the ones that we have stakes in. So we are uh, constantly um, buying and, and then divesting um, companies after we, after we fix them. So you're trying to look for what are the patterns of ways to fix them most effectively. And both for Blackstone um, ourselves and our companies, the cloud transformation is clearly uh, a way to do that at scale. So we are in a, a major push to move our cloud infrastructure, our infrastructure all to the cloud. Um, and, you know, while people have been talking about the cloud for a long time, I think that there is a misconception that that's been done mostly already. Uh, I'd say somewhere between 10 to 20% of the workloads of the world have actually been moved to cloud. Um, so you would think it would be like 80% with the way that the media covers it. Whereas most enterprises have so much legacy technology that is, it's not that easy to pick it up and move it. So when you're building from scratch, sure, you can be 100% cloud. Um, I'm hopeful that when we get there in you know, 12, 18, 24 months, however long it's going to take to move uh, most of our uh, infrastructure to the cloud, we will be probably one of the, one of the oldest most cloud companies, um, some combination of the two of those things, because um, we weren't born digital. And, uh, and it's a hard transition for most. And then when we look across our portfolio, every company that we um, 
that we've invested in is, is somewhere along that journey as well. And by helping accelerate that journey, we think we can add significant value to the, uh, to the company. Um, and it's not always, it's not actually, it's usually not about cost. It's about how do you use it to become more nimble, to be able to roll out solutions faster than you could yesterday. And that's what we're most excited about. So everyone thinks it's because you're going to save a whole a bunch of money. And in certain cases you can, uh, but that pales in comparison to the value of uh, being able to turn over solutions and enable our business leaders with new tools faster. Yeah, if you can deliver value faster to the stakeholders, there's a significant value to that speed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Velocity, um, I think, is under uh, the value of velocity is underappreciated because everybody is focused on what you can measure and you know, it's, it's easiest to measure the cost side of the equation rather than the value side. Well, today we're going to value velocity. <laughs> That'll be the theme of the episode, giving, okay. giving velocity the credit it deserves. Yeah, right? exactly. I wish it was a better measurement. I mean, one of your questions uh, around, um, around what are measurements are most useful, it's like quality measurements. You can, uh, you can really fixate on, you know, number of bugs in your system, um, number of projects, you know, throughput metrics, number of projects that are, are completed. You can measure the turnover of your staff. You can measure the effectiveness of your hiring. And, you know, all of that stuff is stuff that we, that we value. What I'm still kind of that elusive measurement is trying to measure some sort of elegance and throughput of the technology that's actually delivered at the like code level. And, you know, I've searched far and wide and we're, we're still kind of continuing to search and there's a bunch of new entrance in, in that as new startups who are trying to do it. And, you know, we're engaged with them, but we haven't, I haven't found the silver bullet yet that I'm continuing to search for because whatever you measure is what you optimize for usually. Uh, so I'm trying to figure out how we can optimize for that true kind of elegance and excellence of the technology implementation, because that's where you really benefit um, outsized rewards from that uh, over the long haul. So I was, I was looking at your, your past, right? That's like one of the one of the things I like to do, see, learn, learn about people, see who they are. You seem pretty entrepreneurial. Uh, yeah, I guess uh, that, uh, you know, we, I was one of the founding team at Gap IQ. I was there for 11 years, came to Blackstone. And really, you know, the reason I came to Blackstone after that was because I felt like it was an opportunity to build something um, entrepreneurial here. And the way that our leaders and myself now, hopefully, and, and others approach any problem is to try to take it down to the, to the most, the, the essence of the problem and then come up with a creative solution instead of just managing inside of parameters that may or may not be uh, real, right? A lot of times I was just with a bunch of other technology leaders and I was uh, to some degree, um, I was glad that we think kind of creatively and entrepreneurially about the different problems, whereas some other companies were, it was all about kind of managing inside of some fictional set of parameters that, that were set by upper management or a budget that was unchangeable or whatever, where we, we like to take much more of a common sense approach to every problem. And I think that's what being entrepreneurial is. When you are managing payroll for a small company and you know you have to sell a certain amount so you can invest a certain amount so you can pay people so you can hire more people, it gets real really fast about like operating creatively to stretch all of those parameters as far as you absolutely can. Um, so I think we do that at Blackstone, even though Blackstone's been around, Steve and, and Pete Peterson founded it 30 plus years ago, but it still operates that way across all of our businesses. And there's a decision by decision entrepreneurial attitude and uh, we try to get rid of all bureaucracy. So that's what sort of led me to into this, which was sort of a weird path for somebody from a tech company to, uh, to head to Blackstone was not necessarily um, a, common, uh, a common path. So I've got, I've got some more questions about like, seeing the problem uh, like through the eyes of an entrepreneur, like how you get your, your team to, to think that way, to look that way. But I'm curious to know, there's such a variety of structure between the different uh, CTOs that I meet at funds. Um, and I'm curious to know, like, what does your structure look like? Do you, the, the first question would be, do you build well, one of them that was really interesting was Georgian Partners. Um, I talked to Mads, it's their CTO over there just a couple of weeks ago, really, really cool guy. Um, one of the things that they do is they 
invest a lot in conversational AI. That's like one of their investment thesis. And so they ended up building some, like they have an internal development team that they'll build tools and libraries that are for use of only their portfolio companies, which is, that was pretty cool uh, for me to, to learn. It's great. Are you guys doing any of that or what does your team structure look like? You know, so our team, my team structure, uh, you know, for internal Blackstone technology is approximately 400 resources between offshore and onshore and a variety of different teams. And we try to operate as much as we can as a single team. Um, we have an engagement function that are really the, the folks that are on the front lines, understanding the business problems um, in their entirety, such that we can then solution things uh, that solve the business problem, but also fit into our technology inf infrastructure and, and architecture well. Most of the, you know, what I do see is firms that are much more like order takers, where the technologists just implement solutions because someone told them to, um, end up with a real mess of an architecture. So by embedding our engagement function with the, uh, the, the folks that, they're that we're trying to serve, they get a better sense of, okay, this is, specifically what I'm what I have to achieve with a solution and then we can go back to the engine room and decide how how to build a system that achieves said uh, you know said requirement like an, an example would be you know sometimes people ask for a report I need something that shows X and if you just go run back and build X you deliver X and and the and the person says well this isn't this doesn't solve my problem and then you you realize the problem was that they need to communicate with their clients a certain way they just happened to think that the report was the way to do that um, and only when they saw the finished product did they realize that that wasn't going to work well I want to short circuit all that trial and error and have the engagement folks really understand okay the problem that that person is solving is that they need to communicate certain uh, information to their clients and then once we know that, we can go back and say, okay, does it make sense to have a portal that enables us to communicate with them directly? Does it make sense to have a report? Does it make sense to do something completely different? So um, I'd say like focusing on the problem is far and away the, the biggest challenge. Now, in terms of our portfolio, we do not um, build technology for the portfolio, but we do coalesce a community of the portfolio to meet regularly, to discuss all the problems that everybody ha has and share solutions with each other in a much more kind of peer-to-peer -peer style sharing environment that that is very healthy i'd say you know our the companies we buy are large companies so each of them have their own tech ecosystem and they're across a lot of different industries so given that we're not necessarily focused in one or two verticals the amount that you can leverage cross companies sometimes is limited by the fact that their use cases are very diverse although you know, some of the stuff like cloud enablement and otherwise cuts horizontally across every every one of the companies. But it is a value add. It's somewhat attractive for companies because that'll allow business to occur within the portfolio companies naturally. Yeah, I'm not necessarily against it. I'm just saying it is, it's certainly, you know, a lot of work in order to, to, to accomplish that and the complexities of building technologies that scale across tens and hundreds of companies is like, cannot be understated. There's a reason why... <laughs> There's a reason why these startups raise, you know, five, 10, 20, you know, a hundred million dollars in venture funding in order to get to viable. So, you know, you just have to be, I think you got to go in with your eyes wide open and not try to like, you know, eat the elephant and die of indigestion by building some sort of, uh, you know, monster technology that does everything for everybody. So I'd say we're, we're very good. Hopefully we're good curators of technology um, that can be helpful to our portfolio uh, by basically taking all the best ideas and just like making sure people hear about them so that they can pick and choose what makes uh, the most sense for them. So primarily your team, you said you have about 400 resources. They, their primary objective is Blackstone's like technology as an operating venture right. firm. Correct. I mean, we have, you know, we're over 510 billion as of last quarter under management with you know many businesses contained inside that 510 billion. So uh, it is not insignificant the amount of information and different strategies and all the different uh, systems that are required to make those professionals as efficient as possible. And we really pride ourselves on the, the scale that we can achieve as a business with a relatively small amount of people. So that kind of leverage per employee is something that we're really thinking about. And the way to lever leverage employees is give them the best tools possible, right? Um, 
if you have a sharper axe, you can cut down more trees, right? So, yeah. um, so we're constantly trying to create tools that enable us to uh, have sharper axes and, uh, and, and be more productive. Nice. And then you have a special team who's building a chainsaw. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And then, and then maybe what the next one will be, will be, uh, you know, a bigger machine that harvests the trees too, right? Like you got to be constantly understanding what you're trying to achieve, but also purpose build it, right? If, if you're only cutting, you know, take to continue the analogy, if you're only, if you only know, if you know, you're always going to, you're only going to build one cabin, then the time spent designing a, a, a machine to harvest, you know, many hundreds of logs is not really that important. Whereas if you know you're going to build a whole, a whole town of structures, you obviously need to harvest that much more wood. So we're constantly prioritizing and trying to only bite off what we know we can uh, get done. And that kind of maximizes the value um, to our firm. Yeah. Getting lost in the weeds is so easy. I've been writing code for you know, over 17 years and it's very frustrating when you when you figure out that the time you spent was building something cool and not something that actually brought value. And so I learned that within the first you know five or six years of my career, luckily. And uh, yeah, it's been. I read one of your interviews and you were talking about the difference between building something cool and building something of value too. Right. Yeah. I think uh, you know I think we have a unique combination where uh, you know Blackstone is an interesting set of problems um, and. Our, the use of technology is extremely broad. And, you know, where are we going to develop the latest, most aggressive conversational AI or something? You know, like, I don't know, I'm just trying to come up with an example of, of, of deep tech. Probably not. But we are going to stitch together lots of different technology to create some, you know, a, a plethora of different tools and add a lot of value in, the, in, in doing that. So you have to, you know, different strokes for different folks in terms of, who we're recruiting, but I think it's a very, it's a, it's a nice combination of, of broad experience, deep technology, but not necessarily the deepest, but the ability to have value, um, be a part of value creation right from the beginning. Like we try to have all of our interns, they're here right now, they're shipping code into production, you know, almost immediately. And that's adding value to Blackstone. I think it's a really cool experience to have when you're an intern to, to think that you influenced um, a pretty big, uh, you know, influential company during a, a very short internship. Whereas a lot of the bigger companies, I think it's, it's, it's much less tangible, the value that that's added. Um, yeah. And, it's like work on this hello world project and submit right, it for review. Learn or, or something. And there's nothing against that, but um, we're, we're trying to create something unique. I like that. And you're getting the culture of shipping frequently and right at the beginning. <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So because we're talking about, you know, people and, and engineers and or newer people, I guess one of the things that I'm always interested in is you've got this group of, of people that work with you, your managers below you or directors below you, and they all have behaviors that they display normally. But I'm curious, like, what behavior stands out to you as someone who has potential? Yeah, it's some combination of aptitude and like energy and and grit with a humility to know that they don't know everything so i'd say those are like my three most important things like they got to be willing to fight through it because you know success isn't isn't you know built in a day right it's a built over a long long period of time and obviously you have to have a certain amount of aptitude and skill you know be it from experience or from school or otherwise in order to give you the tools to do it but that that uh that grit and curiosity is like just so important. So I like to, you know, talk about what people have read recently and and how they approach learning overall, because it's you that's usually a very, very good separator to to the people that that succeed, you know, big in life is that kind of consistent learning all the time, reading and and just feeling a passion for getting better. So you need energy in order to, to fuel that passion. You're taught, do you know about leader bits? Is that why you brought that up or no? no? Oh man. Yeah. So we started the podcast and then a leadership company came out of it because we saw that the uh, industry was broken. It was like, let's go to a comp, let's go to a conference. Let's do a workshop, teach you like 80 great things. And then you go back and you forget it all. And I said, that's not how leaders become great. I don't know how that's a multi-billion dollar industry. And 
we were talking here at the podcast, we're like, well, how do leaders become great? Because I was interviewing all of these people. And I'm like, slow, small, consistent improvements over time. That's all yep. they do. And then so we said, all right, well, let's go look in the market to see what leadership program is set up for that. And there was like none. There was like, people just figure it out themselves. Like you probably have Audible and you listen to some stuff and you just can, you're just in this habit. So we ended up making a ton of leadership content that is just like these small weekly habits. People do something hmm. 10 minutes every week. That sounds great. I mean, I'm a big believer in like the, a big part of, uh, of excellence is showing up every day and working hard. And then, you know, understanding that that's what it takes. And don't try to fool yourself when you know, you know, deep down inside, you know, if you've given 100%. So, you know, figure out how to give that 100%. And if you only want to give 90 that day, don't, don't try to tell people you gave 100, right? And like, and just every single day, I sort of think about like uh, Shawshank Redemption where, uh, where he's breaking out by scraping at the wall every day for whatever it was, 12 years. Sometimes that's what technology is about, right? It's about hard work, sustained effort over time, and eventually you break through and you, do, and you get to where you want to go. And, you know, I'm a... I'm a huge believer in consistency and the power of habit is a, you know, is a book that I always recommend to everybody because it's uh it's just something people have to learn. And, you know, I'm t I have two kids, 11 and 13, and I'm trying to teach them that. Right. Because I think it's, it, it, it's interesting to watch how distracted everybody can be. Now we all have, we have more resources than we could ever imagine. Right. When I was growing up, you go to the library and you had like the business book section and it was like one shelf and you were like, oh, this is amazing. And you go to a bookstore once in a while. And, you know, and now it's just everything, everywhere, podcasts, um, free content on the internet, paid content on the internet, books everywhere. You know, it's just, it's overwhelming to the point where it can take away from your ability to like make that sustained. And activity doesn't mean progress either. I know. Right. So people are always measuring activity. Everyone is so busy, but they're not necessarily moving towards the goal. So um, we're constantly trying to keep a, keep track of that so that we we don't we're not just turning a perpetual motion machine. We're actually moving moving forward. Um, it's not easy. Uh, there's just so much distraction in the modern enterprise and the modern world overall. So you know we're trying to be vigilant and figure out ways to clear that for people so they can focus on what's important, not just what's seemingly urgent. Right. That is super important skill. Um, so your kid, just curious, uh, I've got two kids too. Are boys, girls, what do you have? A boy and a girl, uh, boy 13 and a girl 11. So uh, they're getting to the point of being full, fully fledged adults now. And uh, of course, you know, um, watching that has been just one of the most amazing things and trying to prepare them to be, uh, you know, happy, successful, you know, contented people is, is you know, a major focus. I have a, a boy who is four months old and a girl who's two years old. Oh gosh. So you've got it all ahead of you. It oh, goes yeah. fast. It goes, people say that and, uh, and it's always amazing um, how true it is once you've been through it. Whereas when you're a kid listening to it, you're like, your parents don't know anything, you know, it's taking, it's going so slow, but uh, when you're on the other side, man, it goes uh, fast. So enjoy it. When, when we get both of them crying at the same time, that's when I remind my wife that it goes fast. I was like, <laughs> everybody says this goes really fast. So. <laughs> And it, I have to tell you, it only, so far, so good in terms of, for, for me, and obviously everybody's different, but like, it only gets better too, because they start to interact with you in ways that are more um, exciting for you and um, engaging and, and that sort of thing. So sharing all of the great lessons, all of the great content, all the great movies, everything with the kids and as they grow up is just, you know, super fun. So I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Yes, I'm already very excited. I actually just bought her. She's turning two in like a month, and I just bought her like a child guitar, like awesome. half size guitar, because she's really into my guitars and like likes to strum them and everything. And so she tries to hold them, but they're too big. So fantastic! I was like, I know yeah, it's they're growing early. They learn once they learn early. They they they're so much better than we could possibly be. Right, and and it's a good lesson on a couple things. First thing is like you're a byproduct of your environment for sure. So it's like whatever objects are in your environment are the things that are available to you like until you get the ability to swap things in and out of your environment, right? right? So you put good things in their environment and then that increases the odds of good things happening. Yep. So I do think that the one thing, and this is kind of dovetails is, to a belief is like, I do believe that the, the hardest thing for, for me at least. So I grew up, my dad was a police officer and, and uh, you know, I, I, uh, I got to go to Penn, which was amazing and, and, and so on. But I don't think I felt like, 
the uh, world was changeable um, until after we even, I joined the two founders at Capital IQ and we started building the company. And it, uh, I felt like, I wish I had had a belief that the, that the world was changeable by my effort earlier. I always felt like I could, I, I, I could, I could deliver inside of parameters um, that the world was, you know, there were certain rules and you just abide by the rules and you move forward inside of some, you know, well-defined paradigm of success. And what you learn over time is that there's, you know, that's just made up by other people and there's no reason why that paradigm can't be changed. And, you know, that's entrepreneurial thinking is that you can actually change that. Um, and it took me a while to realize that. And, um, I'm trying to give that back to my kids that while obviously you have to abide by the rules um, of, you know, of, of being a good citizen and all of that stuff. But, um, but you can really, you should always be asking why, and you should sort of be annoying um, towards changing for the right reasons to the right way and not just putting up with a suboptimal um, solution to almost anything, whether it be at home, at work, and, and, and so on. So those are the type of people we recruit. And that's also, you know, what, what I, I, I'm trying to teach the, the lessons for the, for the kids is, you know, be an agitator in a positive way around change for the better. And, and uh, you know, the more you can push, I think, the more progress you make. It seems to me that you have a high level of discipline. I'm curious, like, where, where do you think that came from? Do you think it came from your dad being a police officer and, and raising you with that? Or did you, something you had to work hard and learn or? I don't know. I mean, we always, uh, we, you know, I can't remember. I started working when I was 12, when I was 13 years old, I started caddying. And then I, I worked like 20 to 30 hours a week during high school, as well as ran. Um, I'm also a distance runner, uh, which, you know, in order to be a successful distance runner, discipline is sort of important um so i ran in high school and college and and uh so i don't know it was always sort of a, a, a the the person i was um and and i wanted to finish things to the end and and keep going um i don't know if i i don't remember a moment where i realized that that was important i sort of always knew that that was important um which i think is lucky uh you know one of the things that that you emailed about was like uh, falling in love with technology or knowing what you wanted to do and like I would, other than, you know, the, the, oh, every kid I think who plays sports always dreams about becoming some sort of professional athlete. But once that was proven to be um, <laughs> inaccessible, I always knew that technology was like building things with technology was what I wanted to do. So I got a real gift on that front. And maybe because that, that was so clear in my mind that I didn't, I knew that just working towards that would be, would be a positive, I guess. Um, not, not, I'm not sure, but it was a good, good set of events that kind of, I felt put me on the, the right path. Um, and at least knowing what I wanted to do. I remember in college, um, talking to other folks and they were like, I have no idea what I want to do when I want to get out. And I was just like, what are you talking about? Like, I, I felt like from like nine years old or eight years old, I knew what I wanted. And that was looking back. I, I didn't appreciate how like you know, lucky that was. Um, and I do now. So nice. Yeah, I've known what I wanted to do for a long time. Like I've, I've had that sense of knowing, like it can change, but like you can, that certainty of like, I'm going to do this. Uh, yeah. Computers right from the beginning, right. Right. As I wrote this first line of code, I just felt like a caveman that had just created fire. I was just so pumped up. I was like, this is amazing. I want to do this forever. Do you, do you think it's the, is it the act of doing it or is it the watching the fire light up? That is what makes you want to do it watching the fire light up. Yeah, totally. Me too. Yeah. So I think that like that and, and, and the technology was just the most tangible way to see that those results fastest. So, mm -hmm. you know, perhaps it, uh, something else would have hit on that same gene, I guess, but, uh, but technology is just so fast. Right. I mean, even like you build a house, right. Or you, you know, you do, you do tangible buildings of things and they just take so much longer than uh than anything you can do with code so i i think that's what's addictive it sort of fuels that dopamine hit every time you get something working and and then you assemble systems in the bigger systems which are bigger excitement and um it's a fun uh cycle to get or it's flywheel to get turning there and then you realize what you can do with people 
and right. you're like, oh, wow, I can only do so much code, like mathematically for the rest of my life, I could only create this much impact. But if I learn to lead a team of people and then teams of teams and then organizations, and then I can actually create significantly larger scale change. And that's really the fire that like, I'm excited about. It was the fact that I did something like I, you know, I made it happen. And yeah. Yes. And that's what people, people actually ask me all the time about like, what are you most proud of? And it's always just like the team that we've been able to build both at Capital IQ before and Blackstone now where like that engine, right? Like you can drive a lot of, like let's say, you know, if you make a car analogy, right? Like you can drive your car a lot of different places. So getting to one destination or another, not that it's not exciting and fun to see that happen, um, but the fact that the car ran and that, you know, you built the car is far and away more exciting than getting to any specific destination. So that team is, uh, you know, great to be a part of. And, and, uh, you know, I just take great pride in, in, uh, in building it and feeding it and keeping it running as, as, uh, as well as we can. So you get to like your core responsibilities there. Do you get to look at new companies that are being acquired or, do you just, so, uh, you know, to some degree, uh, but it's episodic. Um, we do do some strategic investing that I get very involved in. So if there's a, a, a firm that we're working with, um, oftentimes we'll partner with them and give them an investment in addition to, uh, working with them, um, to deploy their product and, and gain strategic value on both sides. Um, so in those, I get deeply involved. I mean, there's only so many hours in the day and Blackstone technology is a broad, uh, responsibility just to keep it running here. So then across our portfolio, we have a separate portfolio operations group that spend more time um, working on that. And we work with third parties all the time. Uh, you know, deals are extremely intensive and sometimes episodic. And so, you know, staffing them with permanent resources is almost impossible. Um, like you need to bring in experts at a moment's notice to work for a month in Europe on a deal, you know, you just, you can't have just a permanent staff to do that. So we work with a lot of partners and we work on developing those great partnerships. So they understood what, what we need. They understand what we need on every deal and, and, and so on. So I do a less of that. And, uh, and frankly, I think that's, that's good with my personality. Um, to some degree, the, uh, being somebody who's a habit person who wants to keep chipping away at that wall. Sometimes deals are very much uh, peaks and valleys. Um, and uh, so we like to bring in partners to help us with that. Nice. You have your routine and your, it's, it's, it's art, articulated, designed. You, you like that. And when something comes in that's like a peak, you bring in third-party people to help out. Yeah, when we need to. Um, you know, it's all like it, we, we try not to be uh, like super religious around like we have to do it this way every time. We're very much like, what are the facts on the ground at this current situation? And what's the bet? What are the best tools for the job right now? And then make good decisions every time. And I'd say, what are the core, what's the, 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 the core skill set of Blackstone is probably decision making. We're just over and over again, each decision is analyzed and made. And we all work together to develop that, that muscle, that decision making muscle so that we can consistently make them in the right way going forward. Investment decisions, technology decisions, in, uh, internal decisions, people decisions, you know, that gives us the most flexibility to kind of go in a lot of different directions. Do you have a strategy that you can deploy across all your different types of decisions? Well, I believe in, uh, I'll talk a little bit about technology design process because I think, I think that's a type of decision. Um, and it, it dovetails very well with our investment committee process where there is a team that is deep in the problem right? Whether it be acquiring a company, investing in a company, buying debt, and whatever the case may be, or designing a different system. Somebody's understanding, what are we talking about here? And then we're writing down exactly the problem uh, and the proposed solution to the problem. In technology, it happens to be, this is what the screens are going to look like, and this is how people are going to interact with the solution, or this is the solution we're going to buy and how we're going to integrate it with the current systems we have. And then on the deal side, it's um, you know, what's, what do the financials look like? What's the management team? How do we make sure that it's going to be successful in the future? How is the industry? And we write all that down. And then we have group meetings where we're discussing all the parts of that technology solution with people with all different types of uh, backgrounds. So the folks that are really um, 
focused on the business problem, the people who are the technology designers, the people who are the technology implementers, get as many of them in the room as you can and flush out uh, the solution. And in the investment committee process, same thing, like, you know, they talk about the investment and sometimes it moves forward exactly as it was on the page, but most of the time there's some tweaks to it, right? Like, oh, maybe we should have explored this, maybe we should explore that. Same thing with the technology. You know, we, we tweak it and we rewrite it. We go back to our, our design meeting, we have another one and we just do that as many times as possible, that iteration in order to get it right. Um, which I think is a little bit different than pure, you're probably gonna say, oh, iteration, agile, that is, uh, you know, that, that's the, the, the word of the, you know, one of the, one of the key foundational elements of, all, of a lot of technology now. I'm a believer in sort of a modified agile approach where you constantly wanna iterate, but you want to think through the problem up front too. Like you don't wanna just use iteration as an excuse to, uh, to just haphazardly move forward. So we do a lot of design work up front and then we iterate quickly through, um, through implementation, trying to learn and then obviously modifying the design if we need to, but hopefully we've thought through the design enough such that the modifications are not that significant. While keeping the problem like at the front. Right, yeah, always yeah. problem first um, and uh, questioning everything, right? Why are you, I was just with another, with a group and we were talking about like, uh, you know, automating bad process and how a lot of people wind up just doing that because they're like, they're just making the way that they currently do it better instead of saying, wait a second, why are we doing this first place? And I think there's a, there's a ton of uh, waste in the technology industry because people are doing that. So you meet with a lot of leaders often, you go to different groups, like, give me some insight on, on that. Well, I think that, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting to me and it's something that I've learned that I, I should have learned earlier. Um, when you are a tech company, like we were at Capital IQ, um, you can, sometimes you can get very insular where, you know, it's us against the world. You're building a product and you're trying to, and you would never talk to your competitors, right? Cause they're the enemy and let's just build something great so we can win. And I think that's a very powerful motivator, but oftentimes can kind of like put you in the cave instead of make you empathetic to all of, you know, all of the different sensibilities out there. So um, my position here has really been um, a breath of fresh air on that front. And I've been able to develop a lot of great relationships with technologists across the spectrum of our peers and others in the financial industry and, uh, you know, just people that you meet and that you like. And, and, and you know, you can learn a lot by just uh, learning from others' mistakes so you don't have to make the same ones. And I think I've kind of tried to lean much more forward on that than I did when I was 25. I think I maybe I, I thought I knew everything. And, and now uh, hopefully I realize that I uh, learning from others is probably a much more effective way to actually uh, learn everything than figure it out with trial and error. Yes, you got to surround yourself with a lot of smart people, learn from them. And you could learn something from every person, right? It doesn't just because, you know, uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, Bill Gates that you're talking to in order to learn something because every person is bringing, you know, interesting data to the, to, you just have to draw it out of them. So trying to, I mean, I guess this is what you're doing, right? Is, is uh, trying to ask the right questions to draw out the knowledge that you can learn from every person uh, is, is a skill. And it's actually what we're, the number one thing we, we try to teach our engagement folks is like, how can you be like a journalist where you're consistently asking questions and drawing um, everything you need out of the person um, so that you can do your job um, without having to, you know, rely on them um, because they're busy and they got lots of other stuff to do. So the more you can kind of knowledge you can suck out of them, the better. Yeah, that's, I also like to let people talk about what they want to talk about. So we do the, we do the questions, you know, you got some of the pre pre done questions, but usually I just take it with, you know, what do, what are they passionate and excited to talk about? Cause that's, what's going to bring them the most value. It's what's going to bring the audience the most value. Right. Absolutely. It's great. So we've got some questions from the audience. People write in, they ask us questions. Is that okay? Sure. All right. So one of the questions is how do you, perform your one-on-ones, the cadence, motivation, context? That's a good question. Um, I do not have a specific methodology for that. I mean, we've, I've been really lucky that um, my direct reports 
Um, I think the person, my direct report with like the least tenure with working with me is like at, I think seven years um, or six years right now. So um, there's a, there's a real, uh, once you get into a cadence with somebody, I think you can tailor your interactions with them individually. And um, I think it's just important to have a lot of them, a lot of interaction. Uh, but if you are familiar with each other and you understand the, the best way to communicate, uh, you can shortcut a lot of the formality, which I think kind of creates a lot of throughput. Um, so I would say there's no formula there. Just make sure you believe it's important and then craft a solution for each individual, you know, slightly differently. There are people who are much more formal who like to give me like a written report and review it and do it biweekly and that's it. There are other people who, you know, walk into my office twice a day for a minute and a half each time to, to move things forward. And, you know, I, I'm okay with either of those things. I don't think that there's one right answer. So you tailor it based on the individual's style. Try to. Nice. I like that. I haven't, I haven't heard that one before. I've actually, I've asked this question quite a bit. Um, <laughs> that's actually, that's pretty cool. I like that one. So like when it comes, so you, did you say, I just want to dive a little bit deeper here. Did you say the average, uh, your team members average duration of being a team member is like six years? Is that that what was the, uh, no, the shortest. So okay. I have a direct report. So I think I have eight direct reports, um, ish, something like that. And, uh, they've all worked, worked for me for the minimum of six years, with oh, wow. some as long as, uh, 19. So, um, almost my whole career. So I, you know, I, I, I really, I'm super lucky, um, to have a team that has, is that cohesive and, and, uh, and works together so well and works, can work together with me. And, you know, just like I kind of tailor stuff to them, I'm sure they're doing the same thing to me to you make sure we're doing it as fast as we can. Usually this isn't the case, right? So I'm, I'm, I want to, I'm personally just more interested in you. Like, what do you think is the driving force of that? Um, hmm. I think we like each other. Um, I think we like to work with each other. I think we treat each other really fairly. Um, uh, and, you know, and there's a certain loyalty both to the company and to the people that, um, that we all try to, uh, try to live every day, I guess, you know? So, um, you know, I, I would say it's the thing that I'm most proud of if I was going to be perfectly honest is the fact that so many great people continue to want to work with me. That's, that's a gift. Yeah. It's something to be super proud of. It's, it's unique. And like, I have an enormous amount of respect for that. So let's talk about like, have you ever gotten to meet Elon Musk? I have not, even though we overlapped at Penn for a few years, but I never met him back then either. So there you go. Nice. I'm curious to know, like, if we're at the SpaceX facility, like let's say you and I are at the SpaceX facility and Elon Musk gives us a private tour, right? He's like, hey, come on, let's private tour. And he shows us, he brings us into this room. There's no rockets around. We're like, what? And he's got this special, special device behind the curtain. He opens the curtain and it's a time machine. And... We flip a coin and you win. You get heads. <laughs> so, you get heads. <laughs> Follow me here. Come on. <laughs> uh, so we're we flip- in the time machine. Okay, we have the time machine. No, no, no. no. Oh, wait. All right. Yeah, I'll let you drive. Okay. okay. We, are in, we are in the time machine. Uh, hopefully, it's not like a fly situation where we merge. But yeah. okay. so we, we go back to the first week that you had a job, your first job. Yeah. And we're watching you work, third person style, and you get to go over there and whisper one piece of advice into your ear. What would that be? Yeah, I'd say um, I'll do two things just because it's like, because uh, I already said one of them is like the first one would have been like, I mean, like whatever you can think of, you can do or you can change or you can like, and this is certainly like, I mean, Elon Musk is a great example of like, I mean, man, talk about can do attitude, right? Uh, the guy is, uh, has done some things that I'm sure everyone would have felt was, were crazy, but he tried to do them and he accomplished a lot. And, um, I think that's something to learn from. And I certainly was probably too risk averse or just too follow the rules guy. So, um, I wish I, I would tell myself, like, put yourself out there, take some more risk, or at least realize that, um, that you have the abilities to ability to go after some big dreams. Um, so I would say that. And the second thing was actually one of the most important, you know, uh, 
advice that I got was actually from somebody that I didn't even have a, a real good relationship with, but I felt um, when I started working, my first job at a consulting firm was like doing support. And during uh, recruiting, they had told me specifically, you're not going to have to do support. Because um, I had asked the question, because I knew I wasn't going to like that. I wanted to build something new. And literally the first day, they put me on exactly opposite of what they told me I was going to work on. So I felt very aggrieved by this. And um, and I'm not a quiet person, so I was, you know, letting everybody know about how unfair this was, and this is, you know, and I felt lied to, or, or at least, like, deceived a little bit, and, and what, but it was, like, the nature of the business that it, everything was changing all the time, so they couldn't know, and looking back now, I was, I was acting incredibly immaturely, but this individual who, who wasn't even a friend or a mentor or anything, but he came over and was, and, and he gave me some real straight talk about stop complaining, and you know, do your job and do it excellently. And the people who run towards the fire or who do the crappiest job are the ones that get the most opportunity. And it was like game changing. It was like the first two months I was really unhappy. And after he told me that, I was like, all right, I'm going to take a different approach. And I'm glad I did that. And I don't know what made me do that. Maybe I was just so unhappy. I was looking for any out or maybe he was so persuasive. I, I can't totally remember. Um, but I probably would say that to myself as well. Just be like, you know, you, if, if you, if, if life throws your lemons, like make lemonade and then, you know, figure out how to grow from there. So I, I was, I probably should have done that more. Yeah. Make the best lemonade on earth. Yeah, exactly. With excellence. Exactly. Yeah. I like that. That is, that is super excellent advice. That straight talk that like wake up that realization, the, the, the realization of uh, there's uh, an uh, every most things are average <laughs> right like most people will do average work so to find people that will do excellent work um because they've set that level of quality personally for themselves those are the people to surround yourself with that's a good culture absolutely yeah i think you know the other thing that was interesting around uh you know advice uh, you know now you got me thinking about the past is like around like testing your limits and I think oftentimes people like don't understand and fear is a very powerful motivator, right? So when we founded Capital IQ, we had to meet certain deadlines or we were not going to raise more money. And then, you know, we were going to basically fail and I really didn't want to fail. So um, you wind up working seven days a week, 16 hours a day. And like, and before I did it, I'm not sure if I, if I knew I could do it, but like, I don't know any other way to figure that out. Um, and it's sort of like people who, you know, I, I run and, I, and I, I, so I'm confident that I could finish just about any distance race. But a lot of people say, oh, I could never do a marathon. Well, they absolutely can do a marathon. It's like it's a it's a skill that most humans have because um, <laughs> we were we were uh, built to, you know, we evolved to be able to run, to hunt and, and so on. But they they in their minds, they I could never do it. And that's what's preventing them from doing it. So having some experiences that kind of push you past what your hypothetical limits are um, is always like extremely valuable um, in business too. Because I think all these extreme races and stuff, I think help push people through some of their physical limits or perceived limits. But um, I think in business, it's the same thing. And only after you make yourself try, um, do you realize, wow, that wasn't so bad. Your perception of how bad it will be and the reality are always like vastly different. So push yourself and then you'll, you, you know, you, you realize that um, the second time you have to do it, it's much easier and third time is easier than that. So you build up muscle um, memory. Yeah, I like that you run. I run every morning. I'm an early person. I get up at like 5, 5.30. I go for a run. And I typically write. Florida, then... you need to get up. I mean, you need to do it at five o'clock in Florida. It's too hot. Yeah. <laughs> are you an early person or no yeah uh, relatively i wouldn't say yeah. i'm a crack of dawn but yeah i i I'm, i would classify myself as a morning person so i also think people misunderstand the the need for sleep like you know uh sleep is extremely important to me and like i'd rather do an hour of great work than three hours of mediocre work um and you know and being ready physically is very important um to be able to being able to do that both fitness and and just you know sleep and and uh energy yeah i sleep like 
nine, nine and a half hours a night. Like well, I that sleep. Is, that's on the extreme end for somebody. I know. Two young children. So I think you're, I know. you're going to make everybody jealous who's listening to this. <laughs> but I go to bed very early. So I can put them to bed at like 730 and then like I go to bed. <laughs> right. And, and then I just keep waking up early and people are like, I don't know how you go to bed that early. I'm like, have two kids under two and wake up at 5 a.m. and you will want to go to sleep all the time. Definitely. Yeah. But I, I did get into like testing myself. So I did the company right at the, I started the company right at the same time as, as having my first kid. And so I got, I started to push those boundaries and I was like, I can't believe how much more efficient I am with yeah. all of these little improvements. And so then I started tracking it. And that's when I got into running because I have to run because if I run, my body physically performs better. Like my mind, I can think better. I'm in a better mood. I can deal with stress better. Like it's just I, track, uh, I track every day my moods and and, uh, and whether I did exercise and a whole bunch of other questions, then um, there's definitely correlation, um, direct correlation um, with exercise. It was the number one most correlated thing to, um, to mood and um, my perceived level of, of, of output that day. Um, whether that's a, you know, whether that's totally true because it's a little qualitative, but at least um, over time it held up um, just rating myself. So um, I completely agree. Yeah. And you go back to the why, the why you're doing it is just to know that like, this is a good thing to be in my, in my schedule I'm spending time on. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Anything else you want to get out there into the world? No, I mean, I, I, I'm, I'm glad we got to talk about this. I really think, uh, you know, we're trying to, we're, we're continually trying to build great teams here and, and, and find great people who want to go on a, on a fun journey with us. And, um, you know, it's, it's not always obvious. Like, I think it's important, um, for everybody to uh, to learn deeply about any opportunities that they have. So, you know, there's always a perception um, and then a reality of every situation. And, and I think, uh, you know, we're always working to try to learn and make ours um, the best it can be and get that message out there and, and, uh, and, you know, continue to build a great team and hopefully people who can be with us for, for many, many years, like the current uh, current team has been. So that's really the, always the message for us is how do we build that brand so that people understand that Blackstone is, you know, a great investment company, but also um, a very innovative technology culture as well. So let's say we've got some listening and they're interested. They've got some skills. Are you looking for like specific skill sets, uh, DevOps, machine learning? Or are you just looking for great technologists that have yeah, this culture? I'm a big believer in, um, I'm a big believer in, in hiring the best available talent and we'll figure out the right, way to use them. Um, so I'd say we have a very, very wide aperture for what we would consider if, uh, if you consider yourself checking all those boxes in terms of grit and aptitude and desire and you want to be part of something great, you know, go to our website, apply, you'll get, you know, you'll get plenty of attention um, and, you know, we'd love to find great people. Nice. So they'll go to the website, apply, name yeah. drop you say i was listening to this absolutely amazing guy believe me we read them all uh so you know it's the easiest way to get into the whole flow but um so i hope it doesn't come off as as impersonal but um but you know we read them all we're constantly looking for uh you know great team members fantastic well bill we did it man we made great. a podcast Joel, thank you so much well, thank you so much you have a fantastic day and chloe and jake will let you know when the episode's released and all of that great thank you so much all right talk great soon you. see ya